Support for KQED Podcasts comes from SFMOMA. Calling all music lovers, don't miss Art of Noise, the must-see exhibition of the summer. Pour over 800 works, including 1960s and 70s concert posters, hi-fi listening experiences, and more. On view now. Get tickets at sfmoma.org. Take your Wi-Fi further with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity. With fast speeds and reliable coverage, home just got even sweeter with the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. I'm Bianca Taylor, in for Sasha Coca. Today, we're bringing you one of our favorite stories from Sasha and special co-host Marisa Lagos. It originally aired in 2022. You've probably heard of Bobby Seale and the Black Panthers. And if Black Panther Party want to learn political candidates and hold up their signs and keep guns in their home to defend themselves from racist pig cops who shoot up windows and murder black people in the black community, then let black people... Or Mario Savio and the free speech movement. We're asking that there be no, no restrictions on the content of speech save those provided by the courts. And that's... That's an enormous amount of freedom. But what about Kartar Singh Saraba and the Gadar movement? I think it's just so powerful that he came to a new country when he was just 16, and also that he eventually gave like, the ultimate prize, his life, for the movement. Or Kalabagai and the fight against redlining. It's emotional when you're walking on the street and you see somebody like her. She didn't get to make a home for herself here. We have to find a way to acknowledge that. So the sort of reconciliation with our darker history, with our more difficult history. Today on the California Report magazine, we're going to dive deep into some early California activist history you probably haven't heard about. The hidden history of early South Asian activism in our state. How Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, and other South Asian or Desi immigrants and their children laid the groundwork for social movements that still resonate today here in California. It's history that's really personal to me. And history I'm still learning about, even as a reporter who's covered my own South Asian community for a long time. I'm Sasha Koka, and today I'm teaming up with my colleague, KQED politics correspondent, Marisa Lagos. Hey, Marisa. Hey, Sasha. You know, we have been on this journey digging into stories about race, identity, and history here in California. And we started thinking about this back when Kamala Harris was first elected vice president. People were making a pilgrimage to the yellow building she grew up in in Berkeley, even having dance parties in front of it. But one woman was intrigued by another place that has a connection with Kamala Harris's childhood here in Berkeley. The street corner uh, where there's this like really well-known picture of Shamla Harris standing with the two kids, uh, with Kamala and her sister, uh, that became the place that I wanted to find. Community historian Barnali Ghosh is holding a picture you've probably seen. It's a 1960s image. It's a mom and her two daughters. They're standing on a residential corner in Berkeley, and they're next to a tree in a parking meter. They're holding hands. We're standing at that corner now as if we've all transported ourselves to the, to the exact same moment where Kamla was standing here with her, with her mother. So that's the picture. Yeah, it's yeah. a very iconic photo. And, you know, Shamala's wearing that, like, classic 60s mini skirt, you know, polyester maybe. The little girls have tights and their little patent leather shoes. 
I just wonder what does that picture evoke in you? Like when you see that, what do you think? I mean, I get very emotional about all of the stories. But when I see that, I actually see somebody who looks like me. Kamala Harris's rise to fame and the childhood that she spent with her mom, who was an Indian immigrant in Berkeley, is shining a spotlight on what's actually a very deep history of South Asians in California, going back to the early days of statehood. There's also a very profound history in Berkeley itself, but it's one that's largely been ignored when we talk about political movements. I started reading South Asian American history for the first time, and Berkeley comes up a lot. I mean, it, it kind of shows up so much more than I ever expected for a little city of 110,000 people. That's Bernali's partner on the tour and in life, Anurvan Chatterjee. Both of them are obsessed with trying to preserve this history. When I first moved to Berkeley, I knew that Berkeley had this like radical reputation, this radical history, and a lot of that had to do with often largely white activists of the 1960s, things like the free speech movement. But what I didn't know at the time is that Berkeley also has a South Asian history, and not just a South Asian history, but a radical South Asian history. So after researching this kind of stuff for a while, back in 2012, Barnali and Anurvan started the Berkeley South Asian Radical History Walking Tour. They've done some 200 tours since then. And what they do on these tours is to walk groups to significant spots in the city of Berkeley and on the UC Berkeley campus, places where there may not be any kind of plaque or marker, but they bring this history to life. Sometimes they act out parts or use props. They pass around photos. Sometimes they even burst into song. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid today. Many of the folks who join them for these tours are South Asians, but there are also a lot of other people from many walks of life who were curious about this history. Anurvan grew up in the Bay Area. But Barnali came to Berkeley from Bangalore, India, back in 1999 as a grad student. And she's often felt like an outsider, as an immigrant and as a woman of color in Berkeley. In the process of doing this tour, I feel very empowered. You know, I really feel like I own the city when I'm standing on a street corner and sharing this, these stories. Uh, but it only takes a moment of another time and I'm standing at a bus stop and somebody walks by and says, go home, and immediately you feel crushed. So it's, it's an up and down journey, but so much of this tour has allowed me to really feel like I belong here. Bernali and Anurvan take us onto the UC Berkeley campus. Today, there are a lot of South Asian students enrolled at UC Berkeley, but back in the early 1900s, there were only a very few of us. And most Americans knew nothing about places like India back then. So we're standing outside of a gym in a basketball arena. But back in the early 1900s, this was the site of a lecture hall. So. We're now at the site of what is, as far as we know, the first South Asian protest in the city of Berkeley. The first South Asian student enrolled at Berkeley in 1904. Barnali and Anurvan tell us what happened here one day back in 1908. This Christian evangelist came to Berkeley to give a talk about the time he had spent in India. They actually have newspaper clips quoting the preacher's racist remarks about Hinduism. And it also talks about how the Indian students showed up to protest him. So this is from the San Francisco Call, which is uh, one of the major papers of the time. 
and the headline reads, it's Oriental Stop Lecture on India. 16 Hindu students at the University of California asserted the right of free speech so strenuously last night at a YMCA meeting. And their protest was successful. The event was shut down. This was 50 years before the free speech movement. But you will never hear the story being included in the narrative or included in the radical legacy of Berkeley. As far as I know, this was the first South Asian protest in the city of Berkeley. And from 1908, we have never remained silent. This small protest actually planted the seed for a movement headquartered in San Francisco that helped India win independence from Britain. It was called the Gutter Party. By the early 1900s, there were about 2,000 Indians living along the Pacific coast. And like many immigrants of the time, they actually helped build California. They did things like lay tracks for the Western Pacific Railroad. They worked on farms. They worked in lumber mills. And they also encountered incredible xenophobia and racist attacks. There were white mobs in both Oregon and California that went after Indian immigrants calling them the Hindu invasion or the Tide of Turbans. Barnali and Anurvan tell us at our next stop how, in the midst of that hate, one idealistic teenager living in Berkeley stepped forward to try to organize the community. So I need to hear from you that you're really interested in hearing the story. So I'm going to have you say the name of the person whose story we're going to hear after me. And the name of that person is Kartar Singh Sarabha. So let's hear it. Kartar Singh Sarabha. Kartar Singh Sarabha. Kartar Singh Sarabha. Prepare yourselves to become great patriots and wonderful warriors. This is Anurvan. He's put on a jacket to act out the part of Kartar Singh Sarabha, while Bernali holds up this grainy, laminated black-and-white photo. It's one of the only known images of the teenage activist. In 1912, over 100 years ago, 16-year-old Kartar Singh Sarabha came to Berkeley, learned about injustice, and decided to do something about it. He took on the most powerful force in the world, the British Empire. What India needs today are warriors, warriors of freedom. Better death in that noble cause than living as slaves of the British Empire. So over 100 years ago, Desi revolutionaries were plotting to overthrow the empire almost exactly where we stand. Kartar Singh Sarabha started an anti-British newspaper for Indian immigrants. He even memorized the names of hundreds of subscribers so no one could track them down. He left the Bay Area in 1914 to help launch an armed uprising in India the next year. But he was betrayed by a spy loyal to the British, and he was arrested and tried with hundreds of others for conspiracy. And so Kartar Singh Sarabha, who was still a teenager, was sentenced to death. He didn't win. But he, along with other members of the Gadar Party, set the stage for the breakup of the empire. This is our legacy. Kartar Singh Sarabha inspires me to dream big. If he could take on empire, then I know I can take on climate change or economic injustice. The Gutter Party didn't die with Saraba. The farm workers, students, and others who helped found it actually kept raising money for arms, and they sent revolutionaries from California to fight the British in India. 
It was a very unusual childhood because I don't know how many families raised their children with that kind of political training right from birth. This is Kartar Dillon. She was born in 1915 to parents who were gutter party activists. And I actually got to spend hours interviewing her when I was a young journalism student back in 2003, and Kartar Dillon was in her late 80s. She told me about her dad, who was one of the very first Punjabis to come to the West Coast back in 1897. And he found work here in construction and in lumber mills. He had broad shoulders. He always had a turban and a beard. He was such a uh, relaxed, wonderful, happy kind of man. Probably the most important thing was that uh, he wanted us to be educated so that we would have the tools that we would need to uh, go back to India and fight for India's freedom. It was how good soldiers would we be in the army fighting against the British. Kartar, or Carr, as her family and friends called her, lived in the Bay Area for a lot of her life. She was a machinist during World War II. She died in 2008, but she was an activist all her life for so many causes. I think in the back of my head, I imagine this like radical Punjabi Rosie the Riveter figure. There's so many different ways where she showed up all through the 20th century. She illustrates this direct line from those Indian freedom fighters in the early 20th century to activism happening today, protest of wars, support for farm workers, broader fights for workers' rights. It doesn't matter to me what religion or what uh, nationality somebody is. If they are workers, they, they mean something to me. And uh, either they're workers or they're exploiters. Anirvan tells us Kartar Dillon was also one of the few Indian-American activists to stand up for the Black Panthers in the 1960s and 70s. The Panthers put out this call for community support, and there's Kartar Dillon and many, many others um, putting their bodies online with the Oakland Police Department ahead of them and the Panthers behind them. And when I think about that image, I really think about the way that that gather legacy kind of flows through, not just literally through the blood, but throughout the 20th century. Next stop on the Berkeley South Asian Radical History Walking Tour, busy downtown Berkeley near the UC campus, where there's a lot of construction going on. Anurvan and Bernali point to shiny new street signs that say Kalabagai Way. So, you know, we're standing at this corner where you can see the street sign and you can see these beautiful Kalabagai Way banners. I think our histories also deserve to be normalized through boring things like a street sign. Like, we deserve that too. If you look up, you can see these banners hanging vertically from light poles. They're old-fashioned, color-tinted photos of a woman with a nose ring and a beautiful smile. And she kind of looks like my grandma. And we really wanted the banners to be, you can see they're like this bright pink color. They're pink and green, we wanted to be vibrant, we wanted them to be femme. It's emotional when you're walking on the street and you see somebody like her. She's probably my age, actually, in this picture. Uh, but looking very, they see, you know, smiling down at you. 
After a long campaign, this street has been renamed after Kalabagai, who was one of the first South Asian or Desi women to immigrate to California with her husband Vashno back in 1915. She left behind a pretty comfortable life for one that was rocked by hardship and tragedy here in Berkeley. In 1982, there's this hour-to-hour-long recording of her that her family members did. And, and this is an interview that was done when she was in her 80s. She's our grandmother. We love her very much. Today is the 26th of November, 1982. And in the so recording, you can hear Kalabagai telling her story to her grandson. And she's got this deep, resonant voice. And uh, then also, then he bought a house, we bought a house. In um, Berkeley. So they got a house here, and Kala and Vaishnu and their three kids arrived with all of their stuff to move into this house, only to be locked out by their white neighbors, like physically blocked from entering this house. They wouldn't let us in because we were from India. At which point Kala told Vaishnu that she did not want to live here, she did not want to live in this house or this neighborhood because she was afraid for her children. I don't want to live in this neighborhood, I don't want to live in this house because uh, uh, they might hurt my children, and I don't want it. And that kind of just made a hook in me, and it sort of stayed in me. So when this opportunity came up, you know, all these years later, I was like, it has to be her. It has to be her. She didn't get to make a home for herself here. We have to find a way for the city of Berkeley to acknowledge that. And we have to find a way to make the street renaming not just a matter of like pride for everybody, but also the sort of reconciliation with our darker history, with our more difficult history. Certainly up till now, there were uh, more streets in Berkeley named after horses than after Asian Americans, even though this is roughly a 20% Asian American city. You know, usually streets are named for old white men who are famous. But it was important for Anurvan and Barnali that the street be named for someone who wasn't a household name but was a grandmother and a mother who just wanted to make a home for her family and who looks like a lot of the people who live in Berkeley today. I just wanted to say thank you. This is actually a gesture about all immigrants. Kala's grandson, Robin Bagai, spoke at a virtual ribbon cutting for the new street signs last year. There are tens of thousands of other South Asians who have suffered the same kind of exclusion, the same kind of discrimination. Let this be a gesture of inclusion for all of them, for all of us. And it also kind of makes us think about who are today's Kalaba guys who are being pushed out because of housing discrimination, whether that's economic or racial or because of the housing shortage. My grandmother was white. She used to pose as the white half of an interracial couple to go and bust people after the fair housing rights was, you know, so you would go and she would pose with a black man and say, we want to buy this house. And then they would say no. Some things we just know. Nobody has to tell us. We may not know all of the history, but we just know that if you're trying to like win in a housing market, you don't take the brown person with you. After she and her family were forced out of Berkeley, Kalapagai's life got even more tragic. It's because of a landmark 1923 U.S. Supreme Court case. It stripped citizenship from Indians because they were technically Asian, not white or black. That meant Kala's husband, Vashno, wasn't allowed to own property as a non-citizen. 
and was forced to sell his business. He lost everything. And he would eventually take his own life um, in an apartment in uh, San Jose, leaving behind Kala and, and their three children. He also left behind this chilling suicide note, which was reprinted in the San Francisco Examiner in 1928. They now come to me and say, I'm no longer an American citizen. They will not permit me to buy my home. And lo, they even shall not issue me a passport to go back to India. Is life worth living in a gilded cage? Obstacles this way, blockades that way, and the bridges burnt behind. He did not have a bridge to his home because he did not want that, because he did not want to be a British subject, but he also didn't have a place in the U.S. anymore. And so I see Kala's legacy as almost trying to rebuild that bridge. Kala Bagai later remarried. She moved to L.A. and became a pillar of the Indian community there. And she became that sort of immigrant community builder and provided a welcome for folks that she didn't get in Berkeley. Kalabagai continued the fight for Indians to get citizenship, and she eventually won hers back in 1946 when Congress passed the Loose Seller Act, which allowed Indians to become citizens again. When she died in 1983, the headline in her obituary called her Mother India. The Smithsonian said she was a lifelong advocate for immigrants and a mother figure among South Asian communities in California. But until now, you've probably never heard of her. Over three hours, we make about a half a dozen stops on this tour. Some of them look at LGBTQ South Asian history, others at efforts to stand up against anti-Muslim hate, especially after 9-11. But one thing that really impresses me is that this tour does more than just surface how South Asians have stood up for injustice. It also talks about how we've stood in solidarity with other groups of color. Nirvan and Bernali actually did a joint walking tour of South Asian history with Black Panther Party veterans. We found all these really interesting kind of moments of connection. All these moments where like Black and South Asian communities have intersected, where we have stood up in different ways in solidarity with one another. So a lot of us learn that Dr. Martin Luther King was inspired by Gandhi. But the connections between our communities go much deeper than that. South Asians have not only supported Black activism here in the U.S., but Black leaders like W.E.B. Du Bois and Bayard Rustin supported Gandhi's cause for India's liberation from Britain early on. And just the idea that there were Black activists who were putting their bodies and freedom on the line for Indian liberation, it's moving. It's, it's emotional. He says that makes Vice President Kamala Harris's history even more compelling. She's the daughter of parents who grew up under British colonial rule on opposite sides of the globe. Her father was from Jamaica, her mother from India. They met in Berkeley, and they marched together in the civil rights movement. When Shamla shows up in the United States, I mean, she stepped into like a much longer legacy of African-American and South Asian solidarity. But we don't know how much Shamala Gopalan Harris knew about this radical South Asian history. You know, nobody tells you these histories when you move here. Nobody hands you like a a book of South Asian history, but when you get off a plane, right? So how do you find out about the Gadar Party, for example, if you're a newer immigrant moving to this country? But more and more young South Asian activists are learning about this history, and it's inspiring a new wave of organizing here in California today. 
like the young people who helped propel a protest of about 10,006 back in December 2020. Their caravan from all over the state slowed down traffic on the Bay Bridge as they headed to the Indian Consulate in San Francisco. Six of today are not the six of 100 years ago. We are more educated, we have more money, we have more resources, we have more access, and we are definitely more angry and more fed up they weren't protesting anything happening here in California. Like the early Gutter Party activists, they're focused on the homeland. And they were speaking out against an Indian farm bill they say could hurt small farmers back in India. Some of them are part of the Jakarta movement. It's a group that's dedicated to engaging and supporting Sikh immigrants and their kids. This collection of stories that we do is not about just South Asian Recently, Barnali and Anirvan invited some Jakara movement organizers and other young activists on the tour to learn about this history, like Gamaljit Gaur from Fresno. She says one story on this tour that really stuck out to her was teenage freedom fighter Kartar Singh Saraba having to memorize all the names of his newspaper subscribers. I'm like, wait, he had to remember a thousand names that like so he could send out a newsletter and those so those folks aren't like you know don't get in trouble for like being part of this movement like that was absolutely insane I'm like I can't even remember my textbook name or whatever but like this is just yeah that was really really cool to learn about the big takeaway for me was sometimes it can feel so lonely and alienating to to be brown and have certain opinions that's UC Berkeley senior Zaid Syed. He's been active with Muslim student groups on campus. It's just a reminder that there are stories of people like us from the past who have you know, taken up space and done what we've done and that we're not alone. Another activist, Jasmine Kaur, says she's surprised by how much going on this tour really moved her. I'm just feeling like very empowered and very like grounded in knowing that there's representation and like there's just there's so much history and just knowing that um, knowing there was people before me that felt empowered didn't like even if they were new to this place and they were able to make movements so as the tour group gives Jasmine snaps for sharing her reaction Bernali says this kind of response happens all the time we realize that for many South Asians they don't see organizing as part of our tradition so we wanted people uh, from our community to know that this uh, tradition of organizing is as much part of our culture as, say, Bollywood is. Bernali Ghosh and Anirvan Chatterjee with their Berkeley South Asian Radical History Walking Tour. They're starting to bring this tour back more regularly, depending on COVID spikes, of course. And they're investing in creating new histories, donating all the proceeds from the tours to Bay Area Solidarity Summer. It's a mentorship program for young South Asian activists. And that was Sasha Koka and Marisa Lagos. More tours are happening this summer. We have a link at kqed.org slash California Report Magazine. And that's the California Report Magazine, a production of KQED in San Francisco. Our team includes Katrina Schwartz, Victoria Mauleone, Susie Racho, Brendan Willard, and Amanda Font. Special thanks this week to Shea Chef Gandhi and to Bongo Sidibe for his original song, Medijan. 
and to Samit Malik of the South Asian American Digital Archive and Kartar Dillon and Kala Bagai's grandchildren, Ronnie Bagai and Erica Sarat Anderson for sharing their family archives with us. I'm Bianca Taylor. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Take your Wi-Fi further with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity. With fast speeds and reliable coverage, home just got even sweeter with the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, KQED listeners. I'm right now as podcast host, Pendarvis Harshaw, dropping a line to invite you to a summer evening of live contemporary jazz at the KQED headquarters in San Francisco. Thursday, June 20th at 7 p.m. We've got a stacked lineup of dope musicians, including vocalist Jamie Z, saxophonist Lydia Rodriguez, and harpist Destiny Muhammad. And Newsflash is the closing event for our podcast. We've had a great run, so help us celebrate the end of this chapter. Get tickets to Liner Notes Live at kqed.org events.